Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This podcast may contain, but is not limited to, strong language, sexual content, violence, and death. This podcast may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Hi, I'm Christina. And I'm Crystal. Welcome Welcome to to Crime Crime Night. Night. Tonight's episode is about the icebox murders. Frederick Christopher Rogers was born on January 19, 1884, in Comanche County, Texas. His parents were William and Mary Ellen Rogers, and he was the second oldest of five. William was the headmaster of Grassy Cove Academy in Cumberland County, Tennessee, where Mary Ellen was a student. Shortly after their marriage, William and Mary Ellen moved to Texas, where they both taught at public school. William served as the superintendent of Comanche Public Schools for more than 25 years. Edwina Evor E.B. Harmon Rogers was born on October 8, 1892 in Grimes County, Texas. Her parents were Jove and Dolly Harmon, and she was the second youngest of eight. There is no record of how she met Fred or when they got married, however, Frederick and Edwina were married for over 50 years and had two children, Betty, who was born in 1919, and Charles, born in 1921. Betty was unfortunately killed in a car accident when she was 10 years old. Fred was a real estate broker and Edwina sold Tupperware, and there are reports that Fred was also a bookie, and the couple often committed fraud and liked to gamble for extra money. On June 23, 1965, Fred and Edwina's nephew, Marvin Marlin, that's a mouthful, became concerned after the couple wasn't answering their phone for three days. Marvin decided to go to their Houston, Texas home, which he found locked up. The blinds drew closed and everything. He was unable to get in, so he called the police and requested a wellness check. The officers that arrived on scene were Chief Bullock and L.M. Barta, and they arrived to find a car in the driveway, which belonged to Fred and Edwina's son, Charles, who was 43 years old, and he actually lived with them. Um, The officers knocked on the door, and called out for the elderly couple. However, there wasn't any response. And since they were doing a wellness check, they actually did enter the home. And they actually had trouble um, getting in the door. So Chief Bullock had to kick the door down as there were several flower pots stacked against the door, which made it difficult to get into the house. So that was that would be a, a, like a clue for me. I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's strange. Very this seems a little suspicious. Yeah, suspicious that the door was barricaded. <clears throat> yeah, I thought it was odd when I was doing research on that. Mm-hmm. You definitely did not want anybody getting in there. Yeah, for sure. So was it, but I'm curious, was it the older couple since they lived there and they were afraid? Maybe they put them there or did somebody else put them there? When the officer searched their home, nothing seemed to be out of order, except for a plate of food that was left on the dining room table. For some reason, Chief Bullock 
opened the fridge to see lots of unwrapped meat. Um, he assumed that it was the meat from a hog. But while he was closing the refrigerator, something in the, you know, those little crisper drawers caught his eye. When he opened the drawer, he found two severed heads, one belonging to Fred and one belonging to Edwina. And the meat in the refrigerator actually turned out to be the couple's dismembered remains. Wouldn't that be a shocker? Uh, opening yeah. the refrigerator, finding that. There yeah, may have been a smell to it, too. Oh, yeah, I could imagine. And... So I'm sure the house smelled mm -hmm. of some sort. Okay, so Chief Bullock had the forensics uh, process the crime scene, and upon further investigation, they determined that the internal organs of Fred and Edwina were nowhere to be found. However, uh, the organs were actually later found to have been cut up and flushed down the upstairs toilet, and they ended up finding this because it actually clogged up the city sewer lines. However, not all parts of the couple's remains were found, including Fred's eyes and his penis. So I'm guessing that there was a lot of rage towards Fred that mm -hmm. he had, you know, these specific body parts mm -hmm. torn out. Anger. And the police um, found the murders to be, you know, seemed to be very personal, angry, and aggressive. It was determined that the couple was killed on June 20th, which was also Father's Day. They actually determined this because of the newspapers from the 21st through the 23rd were still on the porch. And the one that was on June 20th was in the house. Like somebody had been reading it. Mm -hmm. And they didn't read the rest of them. Yeah, and... the other ones were still on mm -hmm. the porch. And that also fits the time frame of uh, when the nephew Marvin, yep. you know, spoke to them mm -hmm. as well. It's all lining up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fred was found to have been beaten to death with a claw hammer. Edwina was also beaten. However, she was killed with a single gunshot to the head. Wouldn't you thought somebody would have heard the gunshot? You would think... The fact that Edwina was shot in the end and Fred wasn't leads me to believe that Fred was the main target of everything. It just seems yeah. that a lot of the more violent, you know, parts of the murder seem to be focused more on Fred, more so than Edwina, but she also you know, got some of it too, but I think it was more so fresh. Yeah, but I wonder who who got killed first. Was it her or was it him? And if it was her, is it was it easier just to shoot her in the back of the head so he can move on to the next victim? Or was it he the person killed Fred first and then didn't have time or strength or energy to continue and just finished her off? Now the blood was actually drained from the bodies. And the police determined that the person responsible had some knowledge of the human anatomy as it appeared professionally done, according to the pathologist. There was little blood in the house, and it appeared that it had been thoroughly cleaned. Now, like cleaned as in like cleaning with bleach and stuff like that. Not mm -hmm. necessarily clean because, you know, they're an older couple, so things weren't uh, always that it tiny. wasn't super you know so, clean super in the house but the parts where 
you know, blood would have been, I'm sure, where it stuck out as being cleaner mm -hmm. than the rest. The little amount of blood that was found led to Charles' bedroom. Police also found a blood-stained keyhole saw in Charles' room, but there was no trace of Charles himself. So police started a search for Charles immediately, and they issued a warrant for him as a material witness, but he was also their prime suspect, although he was actually never found. Which is quite interesting. Yeah, so he just disappeared. Disappeared without a trace. Mm -hmm. So Charles Frederick Rogers was actually born on December 30th, of 1921 and it's been reported that he actually suffered from a lifetime of psychological and physical abuse from his parents mainly his father which would make sense mm -hmm. why a lot of the violence was centered on the father more so than All the, the mother taken out on mm -hmm. him and he was actually enrolled at texas a&m university in 1942 but he ended up dropping out before nearly immediately enrolling in the University of Houston, where he actually graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Nuclear Physics. So he seemed to be a you know, smart, very bright person. You know, Before starting his career, Charles actually joined the Navy. And during World War II, Charles served as a pilot and worked for the office of naval intelligence so you definitely know he was a smart yeah you person. have to you know have brains to be working for you know the naval intelligence after the war charles worked as a seismologist for shell oil for nine years and in 1957 he just abruptly quit his job without any explanation which seems so weird that you have such a good job and you just up and quit huh. very strange to just mm -hmm. he seemed like somebody who had this path that he was following in life and then just one day was like you know forget it I'm not yeah i'm not done. doing this anymore out of here now friends and associates of charles later said that he was highly intelligent and he had a talent for finding gas and oil and gold and because of this, his work was sought after by many mining companies. Now, it has also been said that he spoke seven languages. That's a lot. Seven. <laughs> I can barely speak one. <laughs> I only speak one. <laughs> That's it. And he actually was interested in amateur radio, which is also known as ham radio. Now, my father actually used to make transistor radios. So kind of on the same lines of this. So I thought that was interesting. It must have been a thing to do around that time frame. Yeah, a common hobby maybe. Yeah. yeah. And uh, for anyone who is unfamiliar, ham radio is an old radio system which like allows people to talk to one another without having to use the internet. So like social media before social media. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Now, in the mid-1950s, Charles joined the Civil Air Patrol, which is kind of like an Air Force volunteer group kind of a thing. This is where he reportedly met David Ferry, an alleged conspirator in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Now, by 1965, Charles was also no longer 
employed. So he didn't find another job. He just kind of stayed unemployed. So Charles never married and never had any children. Um, he actually owns the house that he and his parents lived in, which was a one and a half story bungalow. And the attic actually was converted into like a living quarters for Charles. So his parents kind of lived in the main parts of the house. And then he was just kind of in the attic and seemed to mm -hmm. keep to his self. And he actually was described as being reclusive and he was even reported to have communicated with his parents um, by way of notes. So they would slip notes under the door to communicate rather than, you know, speak to one another, which is very strange. So bizarre. And I wonder if that had to do with the abuse he suffered or if maybe he was just, you know, didn't want to, you know, Anx had anxiety before anxiety. he was really diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Agoraphobia. Mm-hmm. So despite living together, Charles actually did not like his parents and they didn't like him either, but huh. they, you know, still live together for some <laughs> reason. That's, I don't know, it seems very Once strange. Again, bizarre. So Fred and Edwina had a very toxic relationship with their son. So not only did they not get along, but it was actually reported that at one point Fred and Edwina actually took out loans under Charles's name, um, which is fraudulent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so which they, you know, would commit fraud to other people regularly, and so they did this even to their own they probably didn't son. Think about it. They probably didn't think twice about it. Probably not. And neighbors were actually unaware that Charles even lived in the house because he always left before dawn and re would return after dark so he was never out when you know most people would be out or when it was light enough to be able to see him go in and out of the mm -hmm. house and the media later actually dubbed this case the ice box murders in 1992 there is a book that was written by john r craig and philip a rogers and this book was called the man on the grassy knoll and they claimed that Charles had a role within the CIA and that he was an actual CIA agent um, that he actually impersonated Lee Harvey Oswald down in Mexico City and that he, he was involved with the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. So it's all just a theory. This is just, you know, writing in a book on how people interpreted his life and and how they thought he lived whether they knew or not or or what have you i just i don't know so forensic accountant hugh gardiner and his wife martha have continued to investigate the case and concluded that charles did indeed murder his parents however they believe that charles actually planned the murder for years because of his father's abuse before he actually went through with it. Hugh and Martha also think that Charles was never found because he met powerful friends on the ham radio that helped him out um, when he was on the run. And they also think that he was later killed by a group of miners in Honduras while still pursuing his seismology career. 
So the Garden heirs have actually dismissed um, John R. Craig and Philip A. Rogers' claims that he was a CIA operative as they feel that there is a lack of evidence for that. They do, however, admit that Charles had dealings with CIA contract workers when he was working as a seismologist. And in 2003, Hugh and Martha published a novel called The Icebox Murders, and Publishers Weekly actually said, said that the novel was fact-based fiction. Charles was declared legally dead in absentia in July of 1975 by a Houston judge as Charles was never found. Charles still remains the only suspect in the murder, which is still considered unsolved. He is featured in two novels by James Elroy. They are the American Tabloids and the Cold 6000. And the house in which the murders took place actually remained empty until it was torn down in 1972. But the lot actually continued to remain empty until 2000 when they put condominiums up. Thank you for listening to Crime Night. You can find our sources on our website listed in the podcast description. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube under Crime Night Podcast. Please join us every other Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central. Good Good night. night.